Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. This ski story starts where all epic ones do. The magic carpet. My daughter Flora and I were under the bright lights at Summit West, with the little thunder quad spinning in the background. The run was flat, and the two of us were still attached via a pink Lucky Bum ski harness. One of the constraints of teaching my little one the finer points of pizza pie and french fries. As all ski dads know, it had taken years of groundwork, a lot of tears, and gallons of hot chocolate to get us to this moment, where my girl was comfortable in ski boots and confident at the mountain. After a year of touring in the Poco Pack, a year in boots, and a year just shuffling around on skis, she'd just nailed her first perfect dead stop pizza pie snowplow on those 67 Razzies. The problem? She dead stopped on a dime directly in front of me, and I was barreling forward, trying to untangle the harness straps and get my own skis into French fry form. In one split second, I was about to hit her like a 200-pound linebacker, so I wrecked myself, crashing hard in an awkward back-twisting fall with zero binding release. I let out a scream so loud, it freaked us both out. Now, Dada was down, lying on the snow, both in pain and swelling with pride. My skis and limbs tangled up with thoughts of a torn ACL and another season on the IR spinning through my mind. While the magic carpet continued its steady evening roll, the Ecuadorian lifty put down his cell phone, walked my way, and helped me out of my bindings. You need ski patrol? He asked, looking down on me without any irony. I swallowed my pride and said, yes. 
I'm no rookie in the mountains. I've devoted my life and career to the ski, snowboard, and outdoor industries. I started off my career by selling gray market snowboards to Japanese distributors during the first big boom. I ran a snowboard shop in Jackson Hole back in the early TGR era when they first opened the gates and side country access became a legitimate thing. My soon-to-be wife and I moved to Bellingham so I could be part of the Snowboarders Journal. I gradually became part of the community at Mount Baker, teaching for the Mountains Avalanche Center, racing like a local in the legendary bank slalom, and making lifelong friendships on Shucks and Arm and Table Mountain. I fell in love with the Powder Highway before it was a trademark. I told the muddy stories of the RV parking lots of Pacific Northwest ski areas. I rode shotgun with the night groomers at Mount Baker in a whiteout. And I spent a winter embedded with the Mount Baker Ski Patrol, following the hard-charging crew on control routes and partying with them in their A-frame. I woke before dawn, ate morning eggs in the employee lodge, and then watched them make up explosive hand charges they used to set off controlled slides before opening. I watched them ski cut in the morning and sweep the mountain at night. I saw them respond to emergencies like EMTs on fat skis. I slept on their couches and I drank their beer. After that experience, I've always had a ton of respect for the ski patrol. But to be honest, I never thought I'd need to call on one of their kind for a personal evacuation from the bunny hill. But here they were checking my knees and asking me if I'd heard anything pop. No, I replied hopefully. Turns out my LCLs took a beating, but they didn't need surgery. So I was able to walk off the hill and salvage some pride. Just in case of collapse, a patroller stood by my side and led me down slope. Another Red Cross coat hefting my skis and leading my daughter to the base area. I was hobbling along at a good clip, so we got a little separated from Flora. When I looked back, I saw tears streaming down her face below her little pink goggles. She wore a look of fear I've only seen twice before. Once when she slid under the bathwater and didn't know how to breathe. And once when I slipped down a flight of stairs with her in my arms, protecting her like a football at the goal line. In my own pain, I forgot to explain how it all works when you get hurt on the hill. She thought they were taking me away. Most things skiing and snowboarding are second nature for me. With her, I sometimes forget that everything is new and needs a translation. Things like why you clomp your boots before clicking in, what snowcats do at night, or why we might need to boot pack a mile through the woods. The best skiers walk back from their best runs, I told her. She has a lot of questions, and that's good, because one answer at a time, I realize that all those years, all those trips, and all those friendships have taught me so much about the mountains and the mountain community that has welcomed me in. I'm now verifiably a mid-adult skier, an old shred with older joints, and I can trade injury and surgery stories with the best of them. I've been in much, much scarier situations, and sadly, I've lost a few friends to the mountains. But in the blur of this incident, my biggest concern was that my daughter would develop a fear of the mountains. That, and I just paid for a season of ski lessons. Luckily, the ski patrol provided crayons. 
While I iced and elevated, Flora expressed her emotions in a dark cloud drawing of her Dada getting rescued by the ski patrol. A few years after we moved to Seattle, I transitioned from freelance writer to working in-house as an editor at an outdoor brand. The job shifted and became more corporate, but I was still shaping inspiring stories from inspiring locations, focused on a world-class team of guides and athletes. It was definitely a day job, with work again pulling me deeper into the business of the outdoors, one filled with conference calls and revenue projections. Corporate politics crossing paths with first descents. Quarterly profits intertwined with mountain character. The athletes remained my motivation, and the stories had so much good most of the time. But work also intersected with tragedy when one of our athletes left on an expedition to Patagonia and never returned. It was painfully sad, and in very complicated ways, work became entangled with death. Whether personal inertia or professional paralysis, I dove even deeper into the work, going on more shoots, traveling. Mentally it was tough, but physically the days in the mountains were also taking a toll. A combination of bad genetics, a bad injury, and a bad surgery had me accelerating towards a very premature hip replacement. It became tough to keep up or still feel a part of the community. Skiing, for me, was becoming a spectator sport. But still, I gave it a shot, especially with three weeks directing in Switzerland on the table. At one point on the shoot, the absurdity hit, while shuffling slowly in a whiteout, after being sandbagged about distance by our wonderful Swiss-French guide. I arrived at a thousand-year-old monastery to experience one of the most unexpected ski culture settings I've seen, but at the same time started thinking about a career shift. The last straw was when I was gifted a free day of heli skiing for my birthday at the end of a week-long shoot in Revelstoke. A holy grail for most skiers, it was a gift I just couldn't decline. I tried to keep it in first gear, but the day ended helping our guides with a backboard evacuation of a skier in my group who had launched off an embankment and broke a vertebrae in his back. My 20-year-old self would have been impressed with how far I'd come. But suddenly, it felt very, very real. I couldn't separate out work anymore. I spent the night before my flight home, twisting in pain on the hotel room floor, unable to sleep. The next day, too wrecked to lift my arms, I had to ask the airline agent to hoist my ski bag when I checked in for my flight. I just wanted to get home so that I could teach my daughter to ski someday, so I could trade free heli days for a few laps on the magic carpet. Three weeks after that trip, I had the full hip replacement, and a few months later I backed off a bit, taking a creative director gig with an agency focused on the outdoor industry. One year became three. It was another acceleration on the career side. Then the founders left and their positions weren't replaced, so they handed me the keys. We shed salary, but kept adding clients. I had to salvage big projects, pitch huge corporations, 
and fire good friends. But even running the show, I couldn't control when we'd be merged, moved, sold, or in that awful corporate euphemism, reorganized. The workloads became crushing, and the ownership was global and corporate. My values weren't their values. I started having vivid dreams, not about skiing powder uphill, but about my schedule rebelling against me because there were no more squares left for meetings. My body slowly healed, but the city was closing in, and the mountains felt too far away. Anyone who has made their love their profession knows it can be a slippery slope. When things are going well, it's glorious. Meeting your heroes, going to lifeless locations on the company tab, and populating your Instagram with deep snow positivity. But when work-life balance becomes a myth and your daily schedule crushes you like a Class 5 avalanche, it's impossible to separate the industry from the community. And now, spending my days in windowless conference rooms building campaigns about the outdoors... I wasn't sure what was keeping me tethered. Witnessing my knee injury had unsettled Flora. For weeks, Summit's enclosed magic carpet probably felt to her like that first time I walked through the Agui de Midi tunnel, fearing the unknown on the other side. But Sunday after Sunday, we both built back our confidence. And with a year of Alpental ski and life lessons under her harness, she was mountain tough enough to brave her first Baker storm on her first real ski trip. Without too much fanfare, I took her to ride her first quad chair, and she nailed the upload. I chatted up our chairmates, introducing Flora. At the unload, my daughter whispered, Dada, ask them if they'll ski with us. Fat skis, avi packs, and all, they obliged and followed us down, making snakes to the base lodge. They begged off a second run, giving her the excuse that they needed to grab lunch. Our second lap led to the same scene, with my persistent daughter convincing two Baker hardcores to slay her new favorite green run. When they charged off at the base area, probably headed for an aggressive line, I explained it away with a little white lie that they were heading for lunch. On the third lap, she thought this was how it worked. You meet new friends on the chair, and you go take a run together. Then they go get lunch. It was so pure, and not at all tinged with layers of rules and etiquette, expectations and deliverables. It represented so much about what mountain community really means. This time, at the upload, She'd already outsmarted my explanations and wanted to take more than one run with the next ski friends we met on the chair. Dada, she said as we uploaded. Ask them if they've already had lunch. Months later, sitting in our living room, we were surrounded by six of Baker's finest. Pro patrollers, avi educators, and a free ride tour judge. My daughter was curled up in footsie PJs, playing with Hot Wheels, and watching Daniel Tiger on the TV. For her, this bearded crew now seemed pretty normal. Just like braving a Baker storm, walking in ski boots through a muddy parking lot, or 
asking for help from the ski patrol when you fall down. In this moment, I realize that an entire community will be there to watch out for her. She'll learn the ins and outs of night skiing, the rules and etiquette of the backcountry, and even the little tricks about poaching a parking space by moving the orange cone. She'll know to watch out for tree wells and not to date park skiers. It's the little things that make a skier. Not the gear, not the likes on Instagram, but this community built through days and years in the mountains. My passion has been my work for so many seasons that long ago they merged into one. When work became crushing, with politics, injury, or tragedy, it was easy to lose sight of who I was, what really matters, and who your people truly are. It took looking through those two little blue eyes on that first trip to the aid room, with the questions, the wonder, and of course, the tears, to remind me of where my soul will always be at home. I found my community, and I know, if she chooses, they'll be hers too. My name is Dan Kostrzewski, and this is my short. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your story. Music today from Jason Tyler Burton, Canyon Kids, Kai Engel, and Little Glass Men. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archives or from the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Becca Cahal and edited by Cordelia Zars. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat because we will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go.